0: This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton.
1: You're listening to a Business Radio special presentation of Launchpad from CES in Las Vegas. Here again is your host, Rob Conniebeer. Welcome back to our special edition of Launchpad from the Toyota booth at CES 2018 in Las Vegas. I'm your host, Rob Connebier. I'm a founder and managing director at Shasta Ventures. I'm thrilled to welcome to the show our next guest, Chris Heiser. He is the co-founder and CEO of Renovo. Chris, welcome to Launchpad. Thanks, Rob. Happy to be here. So we like to start off our interviews by asking the entrepreneurs or the people that come on to share their elevator pitch. Could you share the elevator pitch for what Renovo, your company, is
0: all about? Sure. So our vision is that uh, robotaxis, fully automated vehicles, are going to dominate transportation in large urban centers. And that's a big challenge to build and commercialize these vehicles. And it's going to require software and hardware from a lot of different players. We don't believe that this is a, a problem that can be vertically integrated by any one company. And so when we look back into history of Silicon Valley and, and computing in general, When you run into these big challenges, it's platforms that allow people to collaborate and bring technology together that ultimately gets you to your minimum viable product. And so Renovo is a platform for robotaxis. We provide an operating system that allows people to build applications to safely access the embedded systems in a vehicle and get access to the amazing amount of data that flows out of these vehicles. We see in our own test vehicles four to five terabytes per hour, uh, 16, 20 cameras, half a dozen LIDARs, Uh, This is a big technical challenge, but it's also an opportunity for not just the self-driving systems, but all of the other applications that are going to be in these robo-taxis, teleoperation, fleet management, surveying, integration with smart cities. It is a big software challenge, and Renovo gives our customers an interface that allows them to cleanly and safely access all of that data. So. The idea of a robo-taxi,
1: I think a lot of us have an idea of, okay, the Jetsons. You think about these futuristic <laughs> science fiction movies where you'd see a robo-taxi. What do you define a robo-taxi as?
0: So I think a, a great way to think about this is that if you've ever taken a, a Lyft or an Uber or a ride-hailing experience, it looks just like that except the person in the front is transparent, that they're not there. And you've, you not just replace the, the a human driver... Uh, the driving function with software, you've actually replaced all of the human functions in the vehicle. So the interaction with the customers, the authentication of who can get in and out of the vehicle, letting you know that you left something behind, letting you know or letting the, uh, uh, the fleet know that the car needs to be charged or it needs to be clean. All of that's replaced with software. So the experience is still hailing it with an app. It's well, that's true, because if you
1: think about Lyft or Uber, you have people that are getting back late at night on a Friday night. Somebody throws up in the cab. You yeah. actually need to detect that and take it somewhere to have it cleaned.
0: Yeah, so that's a that's a real challenge for these vehicles. Is that if a robotaxi, if you hail it and it hasn't been cleaned, that's a horrible experience for you. But there's also in vehicle if you're going to sleep or if you're maybe just uh, concerned, you're you're worried about how the vehicle's being driven. That's something the sensors in the vehicle can detect. And uh, then the uh, software can adjust. And these are things that humans do today. We really have to synthesize that human function completely in software and hardware to make RoboTaxi viable. And I think the good news is the technology is there for it, and it's about integrating it and productizing it. And that's what people are really focusing on in 2018 and 2019 is building these trials of robotaxis and getting real humans, civilians, as we like to call them, into the vehicles so they can experience it.
1: So one of the things that Renovo, as I understand it, is best known for is collaborating with Stanford University to convert a vintage DeLorean, like when you (laughs) think about a DeLorean that you have in Back to the Future,
0: into a self-driving car nicknamed Marty. That's right. Could could you describe Marty? Yeah. So um, Marty is the brainchild of... uh, Dr. Christian Gerties, uh who runs the uh, Center for Automotive Research at Stanford. And and Chris has had a long career in, in building and, and doing research on how automation can affect and improve safety in systems. And this is really important for robotaxis, because if you can't make them safe, you really don't have a foundation to build a, a valuable product. And so uh, what, what Chris and his team of researchers at Stanford have focused on is how can you prove that automation can do a much better job of controlling a car in an emergency situation. And the way they've proved this is they've built a self-drifting car called Marty, which you can Google it. Uh, so it'll it,
1: slide around a skid pad. It, it does what... Big opposite lock, smoky burnout exactly. slides. It's like generating
0: huge amounts of tire smoke. If you've... We, we actually... We shred one set of tires every 90 seconds on the car. So thank you, Bridgestone, for the, the sponsorship help. And so... Uh, and uh, if you've ever watched a... a, a, a Uh, Ken Block Jim Gymkhana video it looks like that except there's no one driving it's a robot doing it but you know it's fun and, and it's dramatic but the point of it is to understand how research can help us make these systems safe and how when there's a problem that it can fail gracefully or it can fail functionally so that if you're in a vehicle and there's a hardware fault or a software fault it means the vehicle knows how to get itself out of traffic safely even when it's raining even when it's snowing even when there's kind of this crazy environment Um, these robo-taxis are going to have to be quite sophisticated. And so our our partnership with Stanford helps us uh, understand that space on a pretty deep level, and it helps us build systems that are a lot safer.
1: So one final question with Marty. Does it have – is it an acronym for
0: something? John Goh, who's the lead researcher, is going to kill me for not knowing the answer. I think it's multiple actuator – something-yaw trajectory. It, it's definitely retconned. I think they wanted to call it Marty, and then they, they, and actually they launched it on the 25th anniversary of the Back to the Future movie. So I think they, they kind of made Marty fit, but yeah. So you've been working on these different projects. At, mm-hmm. at what point did
1: you decide to build a company? So... What was that founding moment? Yeah,
0: my last career was in the mobility space. Uh, I should say uh, handsets, uh, handset mobility. And um, I was lucky enough to work in a company called LightSurf where our CEO, Philippe Kahn, um, was one of the first people to invent the camera phone. And I remember we would run around with these camera phones. Oh, the idea
1: of peanut butter and jelly, camera and smartphone.
0: Yeah, and and like today, in in today's world where there's something like $2 pictures uploaded every day to uh, Facebook, and all of them, like 99.99% are, are camera phones. It seems totally obvious, but but back in, in the early 2000s, the idea of a, a camera and a phone didn't make sense. The cameras were really, uh, um, it wasn't clear that they were going to get good, fast enough in quality to make sense, and everyone thought it was a horrible idea, and they kind of didn't see how things were going to change and how portability and spontaneity was going to be more important than megapixels and and, and, and frame rate. And, and I think Philippe saw that and we were able to turn that into a very, very successful business and ultimately, I think, transformed the way people communicate. And so that that's a type of company that I like where... When you start it, most people think that you're an idiot and that it's not clear the technology is going to come So it sounds converge. like you were
1: inspired by that. Yeah. And that became an inspiration for you to start Renovo.
0: When, when my co-founder Jason and I started Renovo, we saw the convergence of, of software and computing that we had been doing our entire careers in Silicon Valley and the car. And we realized that the skill sets that we had and the experience that we had were going to be really, really important. And that didn't exist at scale in any of the OEs or Tier 1s at the time. And so that was a, a, a moment of excitement and, and opportunity. And then like any startup, um, you need to learn the technology, to you get your hands dirty, and you need to prove out some of your business models. And so um, we've been in operation for over seven years. That's a short time in automotive world, but a long time in startup. Um, but that's given us a lot of experience and understanding how these cars work and how to make the system well, safe.
1: Let's get to that in a minute. If you're just tuning in, I'm Rob Connebier, and you're listening to a special edition of Launchpad from the Toyota booth at CES 2018 in Las Vegas. My guest is Chris Heiser, the co-founder and CEO of Renovo Motors. And we're talking about the creation of his company. So seven years in, from your early days, starting it with Jason, where's the company now? Um,
0: more gray hair. Uh, <laughs> um, we, we, when we began the company, um, we were inspired by not just our past, but things were going on in Tesla. We saw a lot of uh, uh, disruption happening in the marketplace. Uh, but I think we needed time for us to get deep into the technology. And I think any great startup in the Bay Area, if it doesn't have some sort of core technology that's immutable, it, it's hard to see how it gets to a significant amount of value. At least that's, that's, that's where Jason and I come from. And so um, developing core technology for a few years really was, was a big focus of the company. Um, as we began partnerships with Stanford and really got into automation, this is where we recognized that we were going to go into a big acceleration phase. And that there would be a huge amount of investment, um, trial, some error along the way. And so that led us to bringing not just uh, uh, institutional investors, but strategic investors on board as well. And that's given us a lot of um, view into how these things will be commercialized. It's given us the backing of companies that can help us get there. So I think that's the evolution of of the companies. You start maybe small and introspective. But you really have to get out there and, and, and build customers and build relationships and understand how you're going to get to market. And that's, for automotive, one of the hardest get-to-market in automotive is, is a scary concept can, for anybody. Can you share how big the company is today? We've got about 35 people today. So it sounds like Silicon Valley leverage in 35, 35 yeah. people. We work really hard, uh, and uh, and everyone is really excited about the mission. But, um, but we're in a big expansion phase now. I think we... We've gotten our product to a level where we're shipping it into um, customers, both, both both named and unnamed customers, um, and we we see there's a shift from doing sort of one-off demos to creating trials, public trials that people can experience, and and that requires acceleration on everyone's part. And so, Renovo's is part of that that stream right now, and and uh, and so we're growing and and um, very bullish, frankly, about the ability of, of robotaxis to launch initially in a few number of cities in a geofenced area, uh, but we've seen in, in places like Mountain View how quickly they become integrated into regular driving and, and how, how much people want them. I think it, it just as a small diversion, um, in 2006, uh, Kevin Rose was given a prototype of the iPhone by Steve Jobs, and, and he leaked that it was a, a, a device with no keyboard. And you can go and find these articles. The press panned it. They said, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. You have to have keys. You have to have buttons. It's never going to work. And, of course, it it worked really, really well. I would contrast that to the idea of the robotaxi, where there's an illustration in a 1918 Scientific American of a family on an American road in a robotaxi. So customers have wanted this for exactly 100 years. We've known exactly what it is. It's been a technological problem to build it. And so I think this is one of these great things where the customers actually are desperate for the product. There's still going to be questions about the safety and the reliability, but we're going to close those gaps. But so people fundamentally want it, and that's a fantastic place to be in. So many other products, you have to educate your customers. You have to convince them that they want something. That's not the case. People want the convenience. Um, they want they want the time back. They want the, uh, the security. And ultimately, these systems will be much safer than well, human drivers. Let's talk about that in just
1: a moment. If you're just tuning in, I'm Rob Conneybeer and you're listening to a special edition of Launchpad from the Toyota booth at CES 2018 in Las Vegas. My, cre- my guest is Chris Heiser. He is the co-founder and CEO of Renovo, and we're talking about the future of automated taxi cabs. So there are a few different models that people are talking about for building these robo-taxis mm-hmm. going forward. One is, I'm sure you're asking about a company called Zoox mm-hmm. that has publicly talked about building the entire stack themselves and saying, we don't need the automakers. The automakers don't understand anything. We're going to build the Tesla pieces and the different pieces and build it from the ground up, everything you have. There's another point of view that says automakers are very good at manufacturing complex vehicles in high volume to handle the demands of being out in the real world, doors opening and closing, all these things, and then partnering with companies like Renovo to bring these taxis to market. What what do you think will win?
0: Do you think they can both win? Do you think there's one winning approach? Um, I think both are going to be viable options. I think uh, I I like the Zouks guys. They're they're incredibly ambitious uh, and they have uh, clarity of vision, which I think is really important. Um, I think on the flip side, what Tesla has shown, uh, you know, 13 years in, uh, is that yeah, it has been 13 years, that, has that, that, and, and and roughly, I mean, depending on how you score it, around 10 to 12 billion dollars of capital. It's really, really hard to make cars, and it's, it's even harder to make cars that are reliable and profitable. And so I have a part of the seven-and-a-half-year journey of Renovo has building an incredibly deep respect for what automotive companies do. They are the most efficient supply chain management systems on the planet and the fact that you can plunk down $15,000 for a Honda Fit or a Toyota Corolla take that thing apart one it's kind day of shocking, and, actually. and look at the value that's actually in that the amount of person hours that went into designing and building it it's pretty it's pretty stunning so i think that is that that manufacturing base is absolutely critical um, to getting Robotaxi to scale. But I think there will be people that do their own one-up manufacturers. Um, I think you're going to see uh, ODMs in China that are focused on consumer electronics. And what's an ODM? An uh, 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 Original device manufacturer. So these are people like Foxconn. And, and you know, they, I think they see this as, as a, a growth possibility. So I think the manufacturing space will get more diverse. You see a lot of people doing additive manufacturing or rapid manufacturing, especially for these early trials. There could be some, some, uh, some space for them as well. Uh, but at the end of the day, what you really want is is tens of thousands, or, or you know, yeah, tens of thousands of these in city centers. Um, I think the manufacturers have a big, big role to play there, and I think that, that where they struggle is the concept of an open platform, and that's absolutely critical to making this work. And this is something that that is not um, in their DNA today. I think some of them are trying to change that, um, but the idea of well I guess platform an open platform is kind of scary because.
1: When you have these vehicles going around, if they make mistakes in their path planning where they're going to go or they don't see a pedestrian, it means that people are going to die mm-hmm. or there is going to be serious damage. Yep. So how do you build an open platform but still retain the control that you need to be safe?
0: Yeah. So I think a good example would be that you can get into, like, the lobby of the Pentagon pretty easily. But if you want to get to, like, the, the A-ring, not so easy. And so you can have a device where there are aspects of it that are open that still have a lot of access to information, and there are parts of it that are extremely locked down. And the things that need to be locked down are things like motion control and embedded systems, um, things where the Path Planner feeds into. There will be pieces of the system that will have to be firewalled off um, computationally and security-wise. But we're good at building complex computing systems that can, that can be diverse, and I think that's what you're seeing a big change now with the way people are thinking of vehicles. It's not a 100 ECUs sitting on a CAN bus. They're thinking about it as a technology platform. And there will be parts of it that are walled off and parts of it that are more open. But at the end of the I day... I guess in a lot of ways, that's
1: like any PC or any mobile device
0: that you have. There are things you can get access to on iOS and there are things that you simply can't. That's right. You got, you know, uh, secure trusted computing zones. And so I think these concepts are there. And what we need to do is make them work at scale in cars. And I think there's a clear path to do that.
1: So when you take a look at these robo-taxis coming, do you think they start in defined areas of cities? So you'll start to have downtown cores where it's only robo-taxis that are allowed? Or how do you think that unfolds? Is there a city that's first? Is there a
0: region that's first? We're talking to dozens of cities right now about this. And I think there's not a clear answer to that question. Some people are thinking about completely locking down an area and just doing robo-taxis. I think most people are thinking maybe, maybe create a lane for them initially until they feel like they can... Like a bike lane. Like a bike equivalent. lane or a bus lane or something like that. And, uh, and then and then bring them in. But they will certainly be geofenced. They will be limited in their operation because that greatly reduces the complexity. I think a really important point here to make is that running a Robo taxi at level 4 in a square mile where you've mapped everything and you have Wi-Fi and, and LTE is an order... Orders of magnitude easier problem than driving coast-to-coast in the United States. And that's why robotaxis will be commercialized before your personal sedan will take you from New York to L.A., fully autonomous. And so definitely uh, uh, geofenced, limited. Um, But in terms of mixing it with existing uh, traffic patterns, I think there's not a clear answer to that. Some people are – want Because you might do a lane. You might do a lane. Um, And some people are building cities – Right now, around the concept of automation, where they're going to have completely separate areas. What are some of those cities? I, I'm, I'm blanking on the name, but uh, uh, the uh, uh, CTO of, of Baidu mentioned a city in China that is being built with automation as one of the fundamental uh, uh, infrastructure components of it so i think that's also quite you know it's funny
1: when you're doing that for the first time it's almost guaranteed to be wrong
0: yeah and i think so others will get to learn from those early and and they can probably afford to to build a city and and, and kind of figure it out
1: so when do you think people start getting in these robo
0: taxis that don't have safety drivers so waymo's doing that today in phoenix um they pulled their safety drivers uh i think in december And so I believe they still have So you
1: can go to Phoenix right now. Go to Phoenix
0: right now, and you can ride in the vehicle. It's a big white uh, uh, FCA Pacifica, and it has no safety driver. Um, are you allowed to sit in the driver's seat? No, no, you're not. And so, so they it's still still <laughs> Do they re- have
1: a camera inside
0: and they just monitor if somebody's doing something remarkably I, dumb? I believe they have technicians that sit in the third row that are still monitoring it, but there's no one that's actually could like grab the steering wheel or hit the brakes if something went wrong. And so they've gotten, I mean, they've, they've been at this even longer than us, they've been doing it for about nine or ten years. Um, they've gotten to that level where they're, where they're pretty confident. Um, so
1: if it crashes, you won't crash alone. That's right. There will be okay. someone there to there hold you. There will be somebody yeah. in the back. Yeah, exactly. Okay.
0: Exactly. So, But I think uh, you'll see safety drivers come out in California this year. You'll see safety drivers legally coming out in places uh, like Florida and other areas. Um, so I think that's, that's the next step. And, frankly, it's going to push all of us to kind of put up or shut up. If we can't do non-safety driver vehicles confidently – then it would say they were all years behind Waymo. And I think Waymo's um, focus and drive at this is one of the reasons why we're all here talking about automation. So So when you start to think about the safety driver coming out of a car, a vehicle, or a
1: robo-taxi, who's responsible when something goes wrong? And people talk about liability, but there's also this idea of indemnification, Where people will point fingers at each other afterwards, especially if you 're building an open platform that has different people plugging into it, how, how will that be resolved
0: yeah, Like so whose fault it that, is it 's a great question, so I think there 's two aspects of it there 's going to be a legal aspect of, of it, and then there 's going to be a, kind of a financial aspect of it. The insurance companies are really interested in this. All the largest insurance and reinsurance companies are either investing their time or they 're actually investing directly in companies. To understand what the model is, they need to understand. They need to build their own models of what's the likelihood and what is the impact. And I mean, it, it, I mean, it's interesting if you think about it because if getting in a car is as
1: safe as getting in an elevator, mm-hmm. a huge amount of the insurance industry
0: evaporates. I think this literally keeps, evaporates. It keeps them up at night, and so I think the the smart, aggressive ones are leaning in to figuring out how do I create a business model around these early robotaxis because if they miss that that could be fatal for them in, in sort of their long-term business prospects. I think on the legal side, what, what has been encouraging is that at a federal level and a state level, um, people are mostly clearing the way to allow these trials to go. That doesn't take any responsibility off companies like ourselves and everyone involved to build safe systems and stand behind those. But I think they're not creating a outsized liability for what is essentially going to be a, 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 a road accident of which we have hundreds of thousands a year and, and lose 36,000 lives in the U.S. every single year. And by the way, most of those are, are distracted driving or some other type of, of human. 94% of them are human errors. So these robotaxis almost immediately will be, particularly at low speed in cities, will be much safer than the humans that are driving the cities now. So in the aggregate, it is a positive. And the question becomes, when you do have failures, and we will have them, um, how do you apportion blame and how do you deal with that? And I think this is something that that we're working with legislators and working with insurance companies to figure out. But I don't think there's an easy answer. There's not a kind of a wave of the magic wand. So when you take a look at this industry, and we're, we'll
1: be wrapping this segment in just a couple of minutes, what is the biggest open challenge?
0: That's a great question. Um, I think there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of vested interest right now in the status quo of how things work. And, uh, and we need to change. We need to get people focused on the upside of what we're doing. And, and that's going to not be... Focus on the opportunity as opposed to the... Focus on the opportunity. I think for, for automotive manufacturers, this could you could look at this one of two ways. One way is for every robotaxi I put on the road, I sell 10 less cars. So that's a pretty scary concept for anyone that's in manufacturing. Another way to look at it... The good news is you'll wear those robo-taxis out faster. Exactly. So, yeah, in 18 months, the battery is dead. Every component on it needs to be replaced. And you're continually updating it. So the business model uh, could change. And it may wind up being a more profitable and maybe even a larger business. But it it will definitely change. And so getting people to think about the inevitability of this and trying to be on the right side of history and and push it, I think, is really really a challenge. Um, And I I don't... I, I don't want to make light of it. I think it's very difficult to go into companies with hundreds of thousands of people and change how they think about themselves. But it's an exciting opportunity. It is.
1: Well, good. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure, Rob. Thank you. So for people that want to follow Renovo on Twitter, or on Twitter, where should they go? It's at Renovo underscore auto, and we're at Renovo.auto dot auto as well. Great. Well, thanks again, Chris. Thank you, Rob so we need to take a quick break when we're back we'll talk about all the exciting news and products being introduced at this year's CES not just automotive but other areas as well with Jeff Joseph from the Consumer Technology Association also known as the CTA which owns and produces CES I'm Rob Conniebeer a founder and managing director at Shasta Ventures broadcasting from the Toyota booth at CES we'll be right back